are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Here's the recipe, acorn squash quesadilla. Adapted from Dos Caminos demonstration recipe, but similar to many found in their awesome book, Mod Mex. The secret to getting your quesadillas crisp, Linquist insisted, is to cook them in either butter or lard and no skimping. A griddle is best if you have one, but a regular old frying pan will do in a pinch. You need one small or medium acorn squash, four tablespoons of vegetable oil, three tablespoons of diced white onion, one tablespoon of minced jalapeno, one clove of garlic minced, two poblano chilies roasted, peeled, and cut into strips, salt and pepper to taste, 10-inch flour tortillas, one cup of shredded Mexican cheese blend of your choice, butter for frying quesadillas, and for garnishes, you'll need julienne radishes, crema or sour cream and or salsa verde cruda. First, roast the acorn squash. You're going to preheat the oven at 400 degrees and lightly oil a baking sheet. You're going to have the squash, scoop out the seeds. You can save them to toast later if you wish. And then cut each half into half-inch slices. Lay them on the baking sheet and roast for about 20 minutes until soft but not cooked to mush. You will finish it in the pan. When cool enough to work with, use a paring knife or your hands to peel the skin off of each slice. Lightly chop the squash and put it in a bowl. Then you're going to saute the onions, garlic, and jalapeno in the oil until translucent. Add the poblano strips and cook for a couple of minutes more. Add the squash and cook for another 5 or 10 minutes until the squash is tender and the flavors have melded. Season with salt and pepper and take off the heat. Spread a few tablespoons of the cooked squash mixture into one half of a 10-inch flour tortilla. Sprinkle with a couple of tablespoons of the cheese and then fold over and place in a hot pan with melted butter and fry until crispy. Cut the finished quesadilla into four triangles and top with a choice of garnishes and then eat while warm. So here's the tomatillo salsa, also known as salsa verde cruda. You'll need 10 tomatillos, husked and well washed, then quartered. One half a bunch of scallions, roots and green ends trimmed, cut into big segments. Five garlic cloves, smashed. Two jalapenos, roughly chopped. A pinch of allspice, and then salt to taste. Puree all ingredients together until very smooth, either in a blender or food processor, and season with salt. Next, we're going to have a recipe for black bean pumpkin soup. It's going to yield nine cups. You'll need three 15 and a half ounce cans of black bean, which is about four and a half cups of beans, rinsed and drained. Then you'll need one cup of drained canned tomatoes, chopped, one and a quarter cups of chopped onion, one half cup of minced shallot, four garlic cloves minced, one tablespoon plus two teaspoons of ground cumin, one teaspoon salt, one half teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper, one half stick of unsalted butter, four cups of beef broth, one sixteen ounce can of pumpkin puree, that's about one and a half cups, one half cup of dry sherry, one half pound of cooked ham cut into one eighth one eighth inch diced pieces, three to four tablespoons of sherry vinegar. 
For the garnish, you'll need sour cream and coarsely chopped, lightly toasted pumpkin seeds. In a food processor, coarsely puree the beans and the tomatoes. In a six-quart heavy kettle, cook onion, shallot, garlic, cumin, salt, and pepper in butter over moderate heat, stirring until the onion is softened and beginning to brown. Then you stir in the bean puree, and then stir in the broth, pumpkin, and sherry until combined, and simmer uncovered, stirring occasionally for about 25 minutes, or until it's thick enough to coat the back of a spoon. Just before serving, add the ham and the vinegar and the simmer the soup, stirring until heated through, and then season soup with salt and pepper. You're going to serve the soup garnished with sour cream and the toasted pumpkin seeds. It sounds delicious. Moving on to the next recipe, we have ethereally smooth hummus. This is going to be really scrumptious. Hummus is one of my faves. For as long as I have written this website, yes, even longer than it has been since I told you the wee white lie that Paula Wolford's hummus was all I'd ever need, I have never known how to make the most ethereal, smooth, fluffy dolloping of a hummus, and I never told you. I have some nerve, but in my defense, I had my reasons, mostly that I knew if you, I told you how to make it, I'd be able to hear your eyes roll through the screen. They'd be at once so dramatic and in unison. From there, there would be the loud, synchronized clicks of unfollow, unfriend, hide these updates, please. And under the breath mutters of, lady, you have got to be kidding me. Because you see the path between the probably acceptable, vaguely grainy, but borderline good enough hummus that you probably have been making, and the stuff that I dream about sweeping cold, sweet carrots through, the January version of fresh strawberries and whipped cream, it has only one extra stop but most of you will argue that it's at Cuckoo Farm. You see, you must peel the chickpeas. I've heard this before. Chickpeas, when they're cooked, have a thin skin that sags a bit, kind of like a Sharpay's, but less cute. It hangs about them like they're trying hard to shake it, but they just couldn't. I found that if you help them, put a single chickpea between your thumb and the next two fingers, and press gently until it pops out with a rather satisfying soft pop, then blink into a bowl. It makes all of the difference in the texture of your final hummus. But I theorize that no sane person would ever spend their time ejecting chickpeas from their skins, because it would be such an arduous task, even reorganizing bookcases, which we did last night, would be preferable. Yet, when I cautiously, cautiously asked you last week if you'd want to hear about a new hummus technique, so many of you said yes, please, that I figured it was time to make peace with this technique once and for all. So, with a timer, uh, the thing is, I'm a slow, slow cook and even slower at prep. I dilly-dally, I daydream, yet even at this leisurely lazy pace of freeing chickpeas from their loosely tethered confines, only nine minutes had passed when I was done. And I got to think of all the silly things I've spent nine minutes each doing, I waited nine irritated minutes for a refund for something I hadn't actually bought at a store this weekend. I've definitely waited nine bemused minutes for my little New Yorker to walk a single block. It took me no less than nine minutes most days to motivate to refill my own water glass. And yet, I was convinced that spending nine extra minutes on food prep was madness? Oh, Deb. What this nine minute buys you, though, is a world of difference. 
Hummus that is as far from the grainy beige beleaguered paste a lot of recipes have led to as it can be all pillows and plumes of the softest chickpea tahini lemon garlic puree. I hope it makes a convert out of you too. Here's the recipe. Ethereally smooth hummus. That's a hard word for me to say. <laughs> recipe adapted from Odolenghi's Stunning New Dream of a Book. Technique is my own madness. This is probably where you expect me to give you a soapbox speech about why it is so important that you soak your own chickpeas. And you know, think they taste wonderful, especially if you treat yourself to some of the best. But I also make it with canned chickpeas quite often. Goya is my favorite for perfectly cooked, intact canned beans each time. And it's perfectly excellent. And below, I've included instructions for both. So this is an update. Uh, if you buy dried chana dal, also sold as split chickpeas or Bengal grams at an Indian and many other intentionally international grocery stores <laughs> or online, surprise, they are already peeled chickpeas. You'll want to soak and cook them as you would dried chickpeas. It will take less time because they're smaller. You can have the same effect as you get here from peeling chickpeas without that extra step. It's just glorious. So this recipe makes one and three quarters cups of hummus. You'll need one and three quarters cups of cooked, drained chickpeas from a 15 ounce can or a little shy of two thirds cup of dried chickpeas for the same yield. One half teaspoon of baking soda for dried chickpeas only. One half cup of tahini paste two tablespoons of freshly squeezed lemon juice or more to taste, two small cloves of garlic roughly chopped, three quarters teaspoon of table salt or more to taste, approximately one quarter cup of water or reserved chickpea cooking water, olive oil, paprika or sumac, pita wedges brushed with olive oil and sprinkled with za'atar, or a combination of sesame seeds and sea salt, and or carrot sticks to serve. If you're using dried chickpeas, there are multiple methods to cooking them, and you can use whichever is your favorite, or Odolenghi's or mine. Odolenghi's is to put the chickpeas in a large bowl and cover them with at least twice their volume of cold water, leaving them to soak overnight. Then the next day, you drain them and saute them in a medium saucepan with the baking soda, which many find reduces the gassy effects of fresh beans. You do that for about three minutes. You add three and a quarter cups of water and bring it to a boil and then skim off any foam that floats to the surface. They'll need to cook for 20 to 40 minutes, sometimes even longer, depending on the freshness to become tender. When tender, one will break up easily between your thumb and forefinger. My method is similar, but I often put mine in a slow cooker on high with the baking soda for approximately three hours so I don't have to monitor them as much. Next, you drain the chickpeas, saving the chickpea broth for soups or to thin the hummus if desired, and make them cool enough that you can pick one up without burning your fingers. Whether you use fresh or canned chickpeas, you're going to peel your chickpeas. I find this is easiest when you take a chickpea between your thumb and the next two fingers, arrange the pointy end in towards your palm, and pop the naked chickpea out. Discard the skin. I get into a rhythm and rather enjoy this, but it's also already established that I'm a weirdo. In a food processor, you're going to blend the chickpeas until the powdery clumps form a full minute, scraping down the sides. 
Then you're going to add the tahini, lemon juice, garlic, and salt, and blend until pureed. With the machine running, you'll drizzle in water or the reserved chickpea cooking water, one tablespoon at a time, until you get a very smooth, light, and creamy mixture. I find that I need about four tablespoons for this volume, but you may need slightly more or less. Taste and adjust the seasonings, adding more salt or lemon if needed. I do recommend that you hold off on adding more garlic just yet. However, I find that it blooms as it settles in the fridge overnight, becoming much more garlicky after a rest, so that even if it doesn't seem like enough at first, it likely will in the long run. Then you're going to transfer the hummus to a bowl and rest it in the fridge for at least 30 minutes. Longer if you can. And then to serve, you're going to drizzle it with a little olive oil and sprinkle it with paprika. Serve it with pita wedges or carrot sticks. Next we've got a recipe for artichoke ravioli with tomatoes. This also sounds amazing, Deb. It's not exactly news that I'm obsessed with artichokes. Heck, I even decorated this site so that it would never clash with my favorite food. So the fact that it took me almost 10 days from the moment I first saw an artichoke ravioli recipe in January's Gourmet to make it is really only a testament to the fact that I've spent more time this month swatting resolutes off my elliptical trainer and lazily ordering dumplings for dinner in the new year than involving myself in a multi-hour recipes. But fear not, that all fixed itself last night as my husband had to work, and I took that as an excuse not to. I found this second attempt at making pasta because, does Noki count? Because although that would make three, it was a mess, best forgotten. It makes making pasta 10,000 times easier, possibly because you whirled everything in the food processor and it was done in five seconds with no kneading whatsoever. The recipe suggests you let it sit for an hour to get the glutens relaxed, which I think is brilliant. It's also a perfect chunk of time to get everything else ready. So this was my first time using frozen artichokes, and on a scale of embodying the artichoke's awesomeness, I put them squarely above the canned kind, but of course below fresh. However, their lack of expense and labor involved should be duly noted. I parted from the recipe the first time when I saw that it wanted you to reserve a good lot of the artichoke mixture, more, more than half for the sauce, and I thought that the filling looked sparse, so I used the remainder to make more filling. I parted from the recipe a second time when it suggested that you use round cookie cutters to make the ravioli, and I realized it would be f take far more precise measuring to get all the mounds so perfectly spaced than I was in the mood for, and I opted instead to use my new pastry wheel to make squarish ones. They're actually trapezoidish uh, parallelograms, but I love them all the same. I parted with the recipe a third and final time when I was unable to use the remaining pasta dough a second time, it being too tough from flour to roll very thin. Did I mention that lacking a pasta wheel, I rolled it out by hand? Really not hard at all to get thin. I found it really, really difficult to get all of the air bubbles out of the ravioli, which made them all float half in, half out of the water when I tried boiling them, making them a little bit unwieldy to cook. I consulted the Italian cooking know-all where I get my lunch, and he assured me that this happens even to experts, and the only way to avoid air bubbles is to use one of these doohickeys, and there's a link on smittenkitchen.com, that I'd earlier and wrongly dismissed as one of those gimmicky things that 
you'd buy if your kitchen was more than 80 square feet. He also said that the best way to get floating pasta to stay submerged is to cover it with a damp towel. Brilliant, eh? I will remember to consult him earlier next time. So sharing Luisa's outrage over January recipes, which include fresh tomatoes, but stuck in some ridiculous need to follow a recipe to the letter, except those three letters above, the first time I make it, I obliged, but those pale pink-centered things look so pathetic in the pan. I added a squeeze of tomato paste and seasoning. It was surprisingly good in the end, along with the cream. It was the perfect weightless topping for these delightfully grown-up ravioli. The parsley, lemon juice, and buttery onions in the filling snuggle nicely around the artichoke's bittersweet flavor. And cheese was a minority ingredient, an absolute essential for me to eat ravioli. Believe it or not, we had dinner at 8.30 last night, which is remarkably early for us, especially on a night when two hours and an 879-word recipe earlier. Our pasta was a wee bit of flour, so I am enchanted by this process. I might even try it again this weekend for a certain television premiere. Artichoke and Parmesan stuffed ravioli, just like the ancient Romans ate, right? Here is the recipe, artichoke ravioli with tomatoes, adapted from gourmet from January of 2007. This makes four servings. For the pasta, you need one and a half cups of all-purpose flour, two large eggs, one half teaspoon salt, two tablespoons of water, and for the filling, two tablespoons of unsalted butter cut into pieces, one small onion chopped, that's about a half cup, one 10 ounce box of frozen artichoke hearts, thawed and patted dry, one ounce of finely grated Parmesan Reggiano, it's about a half cup, one third cup of chopped fresh flat leaf parsley, one large egg yolk, one half teaspoon of fresh lemon juice, one quarter teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon black pepper, three quarters teaspoon of freshly grated nutmeg, and one large egg white lightly beaten with two teaspoons of water for the egg wash. For the assembly, you'll need one tablespoon of unsalted butter cut into pieces, three medium plum tomatoes trimmed and cut into one quarter inch dice, about three quarters of cup total, one quarter cup of water, one third cup heavy cream, one ounce of finely grated Parmesan Reggiano, that's about a half cup, one quarter teaspoon salt, and one quarter teaspoon black pepper. Special equipment, a pasta machine, a three inch round metal cookie cutter, a shallow oval two-quart ceramic or glass baking dish about 12 by eight and a half inches. To make the pasta in a food processor, you're gonna blend your flour, eggs, salt, and water in a processor until the mixture just begins to form a ball, adding more water drop by drop if the dough is too dry. The dough should be firm and not sticky. You're gonna process the dough for 15 seconds more to knead it, and then transfer to a floured surface and let it stand covered with an inverted bowl one hour to let the gluten relax and make rolling easier. To make the dough by hand, you're going to mound the flour on a work surface, preferably wooden, and make a well in the center. You're going to add eggs, salt, and water to the well, and then with a fork you're going to gently beat the eggs and water until combined. Gradually stir in enough flour to form a paste, pulling in flour closest to the egg mixture and being careful not to make an opening in the outer wall of the well. 
Knead the remaining flour into mixture with your hands to form a dough, adding more water drop by drop if the dough is too dry. The dough should be firm and not sticky. Then you're going to knead your dough until it's smooth and elastic, 8 to 10 minutes. Cover with an inverted bowl and let stand for one hour to make rolling easier. Then to make the filling, you're going to heat the butter in a 12-inch heavy skillet over moderately high heat until the foam subsides. Then saute the onion, stirring occasionally until golden, about 6 minutes. You'll add the artichoke hearts and saute, stirring occasionally until tender, 8 to 10 minutes and then remove from the heat and cool slightly. Transfer all but three quarters of a cup of artichoke mixture to a clean bowl of a food processor and you're going to reserve the remaining artichoke mixture in the skillet. Then you're going to add cheese, parsley, yolk, lemon juice, salt, pepper and nutmeg and pulse until the mixture is coarsely chopped. Roll the pasta and make the ravioli. You're going to cut the pasta dough into four pieces and then flatten each piece into a rough rectangle and cover the rectangles with an inverted large bowl. Set rollers of pasta machine on the widest setting. You're going to lightly dust one rectangle with flour and feed through the rollers. Keep the remaining rectangles under the bowl while you do this. You're going to fold the rectangle in half and feed it folded end first through rollers seven or eight more times, folding it in half each time and feeding folded end through. You're going to dust with flour if necessary to prevent sticking and then turn the dial to the next which is the narrower setting and feed the dough through the rollers without folding. Continue to feed the dough through the rollers once at each setting without folding until you reach the narrowest setting. Dough will be a smooth sheet about 24 inches long and 4 inches wide. Put the sheet of dough on a floured work surface and drop six one and a half teaspoon mounds of filling one and a half inches apart in a row down the center of one half of the sheet. Brush the egg wash around each mold and then fold the other half of the sheet over the filling. Press down firmly around each mound, forcing out the air. Air pockets increase the chance that the ravioli will break during cooking, so you want those out of there if you can get them. And then you're going to cut the pasta between mounds with a cutter into three inch rounds. Line a large shallow baking pan with a clean kitchen towel, not terry cloth, and dust the towel with flour and then arrange the ravioli in one layer in it. Make more ravioli with the remaining pasta dough, one sheet at a time, and the remaining filling, transferring the ravioli to a lined pan. Put the oven rack in the middle position and preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit and lightly butter a baking dish. And bring a 6 to 8 quart pot of salted water to a boil. Add the ravioli, carefully stirring to separate, and adjust heat to keep water at a gentle boil. And cook the pasta until it's just tender, about 6 minutes. And then transfer with a slotted spoon to a colander. You're going to assemble and bake the dish. So while the ravioli boils, you're going to reheat the reserved artichoke mixture in a skillet with butter over moderately high heat. Then add the tomatoes and water and cook, stirring until the tomatoes are softened about five minutes. You're going to transfer half of the ravioli to a baking dish and top with half of the artichoke mixture, half of cream, and half of the cheese. Repeat with the remaining ravioli, artichoke mixture, cream and cheese, and then sprinkle with salt and pepper. 
Bake uncovered until the ravioli is heated through and the cream is bubbling. It'll take about 15 minutes. As far as doing ahead, the dough can be made but not ruled out four hours ahead and chilled, tightly wrapped in plastic wrap. Ravioli can be made but not cooked four hours ahead and chilled in a lined baking pan covered. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.